I pray that today you are forgiven, that you have accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior. And if you have, he's washed it all away, has he not? He's forgiven you of every past, present, and future sin that you'd ever commit. You are forgiven. Man, that's, I don't know about you, but that's good stuff. That's good stuff. Today we'll be in uh, Genesis, if you want to turn there. Uh, Genesis is, is uh, find the table of contents. Uh, it will tell you what page Genesis begins in. If you don't know where that is, and, it, and go to that if you would, please. We'll be in Genesis 3. The title of the message is Sin. I tried to come up with some clever, nice, interesting uh, topic, headline, title to the message. And I got to thinking, there's nothing interesting. There's nothing flamboyant, nothing exciting about sin. So today we're going to look at that topic of sin. Uh, I had Warren Stucker <laughs> said, you know, he, he saw that. <laughs> he saw that in the bulletin. And, and basically he says, what are you doing? <laughs> nobody, nobody preaches on that. Well, today we're going to. And he's thankful that we are. I heard about a college that was needing a mascot for the football team. <laughs> and they came up with uh, the mascot of being a goat. That just inspires you, doesn't it? A goat for a mascot. <laughs> and the problem they had when they decided that the, that the mascot would be a goat was, where are we going to put this goat? Where are we going to put him? I mean, we got to put him someplace. And there were two college students that came up and said, you know, we'll, we'll take the goat. We'll put the goat in our dorm room and, and we'll just leave the goat there and he, he, he'll be fine. He'll be fine. Well, after a couple of days, the dean of students found out about the goat being in the dorm and went to the boys and said, uh, uh, I hear you've got, uh, got a goat in your, in your dorm room. Aren't you concerned about the smell? And the boy says, no, nah, no, nah, the goat will get over that eventually. Mm. You see, that's how God is towards sin. That's how we are towards sin many times. We will get over it. And so many times we see in our lives that we, we give in to that. And we get used to the idea of sin in our lives or, or being around sin so much. And we will adjust our lives, if you would, for sin. And we get used to the smell of sin, the stain of sin, the stench of sin. And yet we know God's Word says He never gets used to that. He never adjust his thinking towards the smell and the stain and stench of sin. Sin, as we know it, is disobedience to God. It is rejection of God's principles. Uh, probably the, the definition you know the best, it's missing the mark. As if you have a bow and arrow and you're shooting at a target and you pull the back and let the arrow fly and 
If you probably like me, you would probably miss the whole target. James 4.17 gives us a great definition of sin. One that maybe you've never heard of. I don't know. And it says, For the one who knows the right thing to do, to him it's sin. The one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. Sin violates the very principles of God. And did you know sin is hated by God because of what he had to do to remedy the fact of sin? There is a preacher, a very uh, well-known preacher, who will have 20,000 people in his congregation today, probably even even as we speak most likely. And he's heard over social media and TV all over the world, and there's probably millions of folks that get to listen to him every, day, every Sunday. He's a well-known author, uh, sold millions of books. He's a popular kind of guy. He, he has a popular message. He has a positive message that he delivers, an encouraging message, if you will. And most people just love to hear and love to read his books. And I heard about an interview that he gave one time. And, and the interviewer was asking him all kind of questions. And the interviewer said, you know, I've listened to you for years. And he said, I've read some of your books. And he says, I've noticed that you never mention the word sin. It's not in any of your messages. It's not in your books. I mean, it's just a three-letter word. And yet, I've noticed that you don't ever speak about sin, much less even just use the word sin. And this popular evangelist preacher said, well, yeah, there's a reason for that. There's a reason for that. He says that word is, is not a positive word. That word is a harsh word. That that word makes people uncomfortable. They make them uneasy. And when, and when I preach to 20,000 people, I want them to feel good about themselves. I want them, and as they leave out those doors, I want them to be uplifted and think that there's something special. I want them to have self-confidence that they can conquer this world. You know, I, I got to thinking about that. And I'm thinking, you know... I don't want somewhere down the road to stand before my God. And he asked me, Don, what did you, what did you speak on? What was your message to the sweet people of Arapaho? Did you just tell them that life is good and that, that if you have enough self-confidence, you can pull yourself up by the bootstraps? And that, that every message you wanted them to leave was such a great feeling in their heart? But Don, you didn't tell them about the gospel. God, you, Don, you didn't tell them about sin and, 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 and what the remedy of sin is. And, and just like Warren said, you're not going to hear the topic of sin in, in probably 99.9% of the churches in America today because nobody wants to hear it. 
And, and I just bet, I don't know, but I bet when you saw the title or when I spoke the title, I bet something inside of you triggered go, oh, no. I don't want to hear about this. But you see, I, I love you enough to, to tell you the truth. And if the truth doesn't make you feel comfortable, that's okay. Because the truth, the Bible says, will set you free. You see, without the concept of sin, without knowing what sin is, you understand, if you don't understand about sin, and you don't teach about sin, and you don't grasp that concept of separation from God and rejection of God, you understand that there's no need for a Savior. There's no salvation that can be provided you no longer need the Messiah if there's no sin. You don't need the cross anymore. You don't ever get to experience amazing grace if there is no sin. You have to understand that sin is serious. And I'm not going to back off of it just because nobody else wants to preach it. Proverbs 27, 5 and 6 says this, Better is open rebuke than love that is concealed. It's better to tell somebody the truth than to not tell them the truth. Faithful are the words of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. If you can't tell the truth to somebody, I believe that is a sign that you don't really love those folks. We must be about God's business speaking to truth. You know, I got to thinking about that too. About someone telling the truth to somebody else and how important that is. And it's important for pastors to do that. And You know, two years ago, I, I, I went in for some tests and they did those tests on me and they found prostate cancer. And, and I remember sitting in my office Wednesday, March 31st at 4.30. <laughs> Sometimes you don't forget things, do you? And the doc, knowing that I had this, he could have called me up and said, Don, hey, everything's good. Everything's hunky-dory. Go live your life how you want to live it. Make, make your life the best it can be today. Live your best life now, I believe, is, is the phrase that I've heard. Go for it, Don. Hang up the phone. He could have decided, you know, I don't want to tell him that. <laughs> I don't want to ruin his day. I don't want to make him feel bad. I don't want him to hurt. I don't want to make him sad or discouraged. So the doc could have said, you know, I'm just going to just not speak the truth. And in five years, probably I'd, I might be in heaven by that point. I don't know. But he was willing to tell me the truth. He was willing to love me enough to, if he had to, ruin my day so that I could get some help. And I believe that's what I want to do today. I want to tell you enough truth that it might ruin your day, but it might save you eternity. That's where the message is coming from today. We know where sin came from, do we not? Sin came 
from Lucifer. He was called Lucifer at the beginning. You can read about him in Isaiah 14. And, and I would just, I'd, it's interesting to read about it. And Ezekiel 28. And, and, and in those two chapters, those verses, it talks about who Lucifer was, the originator of sin. And if you go back and read Ezekiel, it tells you that he had the seal, the Bible says, of perfection. It says he had all wisdom. He was perfect in beauty and he was blameless in his ways. That's how the Bible describes Lucifer at the beginning. But if you go to Ezekiel 28, 15, it says, but unrighteousness was found in him. You see, Lucifer was at the top of the chain at one point. But see, Lucifer decides, I want to be God. It says in there that he said, I want to put my throne above God's throne. I want to be the one who is worshipped. Pride is what got Lucifer kicked out of heaven. And we know what God did when, when Lucifer decides to bring that kind of an attitude back to God. God sent him, no, you're not staying in this perfection, this place of perfection. I'm sending you down. I'm throwing you down into that earth where you can wreak havoc. And the crazy thing about all that is it just wasn't Lucifer, was it? Lucifer had the ability to persuade one-third of the angels, the Bible tells us, to go with him. And think about that fact. Here the angels are residing in perfection of heaven. They are around the throne room of God. They see and they understand and they get grasp the concept of how much God loves and his creation. And yet he had the ability to talk a third of those angels into leaving heaven to come here and wreak havoc on this earth. If you think Satan can't talk you into something, I'm telling you, he can do it. And he wants to do it. And he's able to do it. I would encourage you not to listen to him <laughs> in your life. In Genesis 1 and 2, we'll get to Genesis 3 in just a second. In Genesis 1 and 2, we know that God created man in his image. And, and, and the Bible tells us that, that, that uh, God said, uh, uh, be, multi be fruitful and multiply, he said. He said, I'm going to give you dominion or control over the birds of the air and the fish of the sea and every living creature that walks on the face of the earth. I'm going to give you dominion over that. And he said, I'm going to put you in a garden, a garden of perfection, that you'll have everything that you need. And he said, you know, you can live in this garden of perfection and you can eat anything from any tree that you want to. Except one. Enjoy, indulge, whatever you want to do. But there's one tree I don't want you going near. One tree I don't want you eating from. And that is a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Just, just stay away from that. You see, God gave Adam a choice, didn't he? Here it is, perfection. Life by the tail. But he said, I, I'm going to allow you to have a choice here to make a decision in your life. You can eat all you want to from all these trees, but there's one you don't, you don't eat from. 
And Adam and Eve had to make that choice. Are we going to, are we going to be obedient to God, what he just said? I have that choice. Or are we going to reject what God has said in his perfection and we're going to do whatever we want to do? And you and I have that same choice today, do we not? And you know the story. You go to Genesis 3.1. I guess that's where we need to go now. And Satan is talking to, uh, talking to Eve there. And he makes this statement. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden. <laughs> Well, no, if you go back to chapter 2, verse 17, it says you can eat from anyone, but not that one. You see, one of the, the strategies of the enemy of Satan is he's going to cast doubt on God's word. He's going to twist God's word. He's going to make it sound like that came from God's word, but it really didn't. And he's going to twist it and he's going to distort it. Why do you think the enemy does not want you to read your Bible? He didn't want you to know what's in it. Why does the enemy not want you to pray or come, come to worship service? He didn't want you to be a part of that. If he can keep you ignorant, he can twist God's word. And he can deceive you and bring deception into your life. And he can tell you stuff that sounds really good. But in effect, it's really bad. You see, he's going to cast doubt on God's word. Did God really say that? And, you know, you think about what's going on in our, in our world today. And, and, and did, did God really say that murder's wrong? Well, yeah, he did. He did. Except for the one that's in the mother's womb. See, he twists stuff. Did, did God said marriage is between a man and a woman? Yeah, yeah, but, but we, we have all kind of different genders now and all kind of different stuff. And he says, it's, it's okay. The enemy will tell you that. He'll twist God's words so it sounds good. He'll make you think what, what he's telling you is, is really good when it's not really good. You see, he wants to deceive you and bring doubt into God's word. That's why you've got to know what's in God's Word. Second thing that he will do is he will lie to you. Verse 4. We know the enemy is the father of lies, do we not? He is the chief biggest liar in the history of liars, I guess you might say. And in verse 4, he, says, he tells Eve, he says, uh, uh, you surely won't die. Well, you go back up to 17 in chapter 2, it says, God said you surely will die. See, he just kind of changes it, doesn't he? And he just lies. You're not going to die. He ain't. No, God's not going to do any of that to you. And he tries to fill your mind with a lie, knowing it's not, it is a lie. You see, he will tell you today, look how much fun this will be in your life if you'll just do it. He will tell you that, you know, you're looking for some happiness and some joy and some contentment. And some success and self-satisfaction, the enemy will say, hey, <laughs> do this. Follow here. Go do that. Go drink this. Go take that. And you'll have joy and peace. 
Nothing but a lie, is it? The enemy would tell you that, that God wants to take all the fun out of life. I mean, look at, look at all those commandments. I mean, seriously. Look at all those things that he's got there. God is such a fuddy-duddy. Don't follow him, follow me, and I will show you what life is all about. You'll be able to grab life by the gusto. And yet, he persuades us to do that, but he never tells you the consequences of doing that. When we are tempted to follow the father lies, do we choose, like Adam and Eve, to follow him, or do we choose to be obedient to God the Father? He will paint a pretty picture, will he not, of sin? But the consequences are never told to us. In verse 6, we see the great fall. And you know this story. When the woman saw the tree that she was not supposed to be eating from, it says the tree was good for food. That is the lust of the flesh is what that is called. You see there that it was delight to the eyes. Lust of the eyes is what it's called. And you see the tree was desirable to make one wise. The pride of life. You see, you see the enemy, Satan himself, he has three bullets in the gun. He has three arrows in the quiver. He has three volts in his taser, if you would. Those are the three things that he will tempt you with. Lust of the flesh. I, I, I just desire this. Lust of the eyes. I see that. Man, that's desirable. Or the pride of life. Success and many and wealth. Popularity. And he's only got those three. And from the Garden of Eden till even as we speak now, those are his three bullets. We must be aware of his strategy. We see the consequences of the decision that they made in the following verses. You see, the consequences for Adam and Eve were just very quickly coming upon them. We see in verse 7, it says their eyes were open and they became realized that they were naked. They became self-conscious because of sin in their life. They have just sinned and, and now they realize that, oh man, that's not good. And in verse 8, we see they heard the sound of a God walking in the garden and they hid themselves. You see, that's what sin does in our life. If, if, if Even if we're born again and we sin and we don't confess it and we don't clean that up, we have a tendency to hide from the Lord. We don't, we don't really want to pray because I can't tell God that. I don't want God knowing that. And we hide ourselves and we allow the sin to continue to fester and get, and get bigger and bigger. And we hide ourselves just like they did. As if, <laughs> as if God didn't know where they were. As if God couldn't find them in the garden. God knew exactly where they were physically. He asked a question in that verse, where are you? He's not asking them physically, Adam and Eve, where you boys and girls are. He's asking where you are spiritually. Because you see, God knew that they had sinned, had broken his commands. He didn't have to find them. He's asking them a question. Where are you spiritually? Are you willing to pray and confess? Are you going to hide in your sin and sit behind a pew and just stay there forever and forever? God knew where they were spiritually. In verse 10, 
We see, I was afraid, and the, and the guilt and the shame because of sin now is festering up in the lives of Adam and Eve. Verse 11 and 12, we see they start blaming each other. The relationship between Adam and Eve is now broken because of sin. The relationship between husband and wife, even today, will be broken because of sin and because of bad choices in their lives. See, life hasn't changed much from the Garden of Eden to the very present. In verse 16, we see the consequences for, for Eve that God says. He says, I will multiply your pain in childbirth. It's going to hurt. And just a little P.S. here, I think a kidney stone hurts more than that, but that's just me. Okay? I did. I've never had one, but I've had plenty of the other. And the second part of this, this is, this is in verse 16, this is for Gina. Uh, Yet your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Order of submission. And then he talks about the consequences for Adam in those next verses. In verse 17, he said, now that you've been working in the garden and you've had a lot of fun and things are working good. But now, he said, because of sin, the land will now be cursed. Thorns and thistles will now grow up. Weeds will grow in your garden. Weeds will just try to devour your garden if you would, Judy. We'll take it over if you would. You'll have to work by the, by the sweat of your brow. You'll have to labor, and sometimes it'll be hot, and you won't want to work, and you'll just work is tough because of sin that has been entered into the world. And then you look at verse 23 of that chapter 3. His consequences with the worst one most likely was he's kicked out of the garden. He gone. You're no longer going to be able to stay here because of your sin. You lived in perfection. And now because of the choice that you made, out the door you go, never to come back into paradise. You know, there's a, there's a saying that I think fits in real good right here. And it says this, sin will take you where you don't want to go. Sin will cost you more than you want to pay. And sin will keep you there longer than you want to stay. You know, there's folks that never in their wildest dreams would have thought by beginning to, to drink that beer and maybe smoke that one joint or maybe look at that pornography for a while, never would understand, never thought in their minds that one day they would be alcoholic, they would be addicted to drugs and porn. But you see, sin will take you where you don't want to go. Well, it's just... A little affair. It's just I like this person too. And you make the decision to cross the line and, and all of a sudden now you find out that you've lost your family, you've lost your friends, you've lost your good name. You see, sin will cost you more than you want to pay. You mean my sin will separate me from God forever and forever and forever and forever? Yes. Sin will keep you longer than you want to stay. You see, sin is serious business in the eyes of God. And there's consequences for sin. Because of Adam, the Bible tells us, every one of us has inherited a sin nature. We are born with a sin nature. We are born to, to gravitate towards sin in our lives. 
I mean, we haven't had to teach Kimber how to cry and how to be mad and how to want her way and demand her way. We haven't had to teach her how to do wrong. I mean, that just came natural to her. I mean, just like her mom and her dad, you know. We tried. We have that sin nature, do we not? Which means that we all have sinned. 1 Corinthians 15, 22 says this. He says, for as in Adam all die, so also in Christ we will all be made alive. Hallelujah about that. Romans 5, 12 says it this way. Therefore, just as though one man sin entered into the world. That's Adam's sin entered into the world. And death through sin. Yes, because of sin, people die. And so death spread to all men because all have sinned. All have sinned. We have that sin nature. And the only thing that can defeat that sin nature is a relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, the hardest thing, if you're talking to somebody about the Lord and about salvation and forgiveness and all that kind of stuff, the hardest thing it is to, to get across to people is that they're a sinner. I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. We all, we all be sinners. Because, you see, people don't want to look at themselves that way. People want to say, you know, I, I'm, I'm a pretty good person. Yeah. I don't do anything bad. I mean, I, I'm a good moral person. I, I treat my family right. I, I come to church ever so often. I mean, I, I, I'm good. I'm good. I do good things. But you see, the question is not about one's goodness. One's goodness has nothing to do with salvation. The question is... Have you ever made Jesus Christ Lord of, your, Lord of your life? Have you ever had your sins forgiven? Have you ever been cleansed and washed in the blood of the Lamb? Have you ever had your name written in the Lamb's book of life? That's the question. It's not how good you are. It's not how bad you are. Have you ever given your heart and life to Christ? That's the question. That's the question we all have to deal with. It's not about how good you are. Have you ever done that for the unsaved those who reject jesus those who want to live their life however they want to they don't need god in their life the bible says the result of that is physical death and spiritual death and eternity in hell because of their sin romans six twenty three says the wages of sin is death Second Thessalonians 1, 8, 9 says it this way, and this, this is pretty clear too. He says, dealing our retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, those who do not obey. Verse 9 says this, they will pay the penalty of eternal destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. That's speaks pretty straight doesn't it eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power Matthew 25 46 says they will go away in in eternal punishment Romans 20 Romans Revelations 20 15 says this if anyone's name is not written in the Lamb's book of life (laughs) he will be thrown into the lake of fire it's not very pleasant, is it? And one of the strategies that, that, that the enemy has, and he used it on Jason, 
That's why I wanted Jason to speak today. One of his biggest weapons to keep people from coming to Christ or keep people from recommitting their lives is procrastination. You can do it tomorrow. You can do it tomorrow. Jason, you can do it next Sunday. You can do it the next Sunday. You can come make that decision next Sunday. And what sometimes we've got to understand, sometimes next Sunday never comes, okay? Like in the Rocky movie, there is no tomorrow. Because when you get to tomorrow, it's today. And he uses procrastination. And he keeps people from wanting to come to the Lord. Do it later, do it later, do it later. Go out the doors, you'll feel great. And all he's trying to do is lie to you, is he not? He's just lying, father of lies. How do we get to that point, knowing that everyone's a sinner? But you know, God has given every person a free gift. Did you know it? Man, a free gift. I love gifts, especially the ones that are free that I have to pay for. And, and you know what that free gift is? That free gift is eternal life through Jesus Christ. And because of our sinful nature that we have, we can't ever have eternal life without Jesus Christ in our lives. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me, John 14, 6. If you never made Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I would suggest that you need to do that today. Don't put it off to tomorrow. For the Christian, for the Christian, does sin bother you? Does sin bother you? It needs to. Does sin bother you? And, and that's, a, that's a question that you really got to think about. Because as a Christian, you have God living inside of you. You understand that? And that God who lives inside of you is called the Holy Spirit. He lives inside of you. You have God inside of you even as you speak. And the Holy Spirit's job is to convict you and I of sin, convict you and I of unrighteousness, and convict us of judgment. And if sin does not bother you, if, if you can sin and keep on going down the road and, and, it, and it has no effect on you, it probably tells you that maybe you're a long way from the Lord. Because the closer your life gets to the Lord, the closer you get to the light of the Lord, the more your sin is going to affect you. The more that you're going to feel conviction over that sin. But if you're eight miles away from the Lord in your life, you might have very little conviction over sin. Maybe you find yourself in a bad mood all the time. Maybe you're grumpy all the time. Maybe you're depressed, unhappy. Maybe you just, maybe you just you're so low you can play handball on the, on the curb. That's how low you are. It very easily could be unconfessed sin in your life. Unconfessed sin could cause that in your life. You look at, the, you look at King David when he sinned, chapter 32 of Psalms. He said, as if God's hand was on me. He said, I was just withering away. I just so couldn't do anything. I was just weak because of it. And he realized, I have unconfessed sin in my life. That can, that can happen to you. You know, sometimes God, as a Christian, got to get our attention sometimes. 
You read Hebrews 12 and it talks about God will bring discipline or chastisement into our life. And why does he do that? Why does he, why does he want to bring a correction into our life? That doesn't sound like a loving God. But he does it because he does love us. He wants us to get back on the right road of following him, of worshiping him, and putting him first in our lives. In Hebrews, it tells us in that verse 12 and 10 and 11, he says he does that to yield the peaceful fruit of righteousness in your life and to share in his holiness. God will chastise you, not condemn you, Christian. He will chastise you to bring you back to where you need to be. Is that not what you do with your kids? You love them so much that you discipline them and chastise them so that you can mold them and shape them into uh, adults that are doing the same thing to their kids. And God the Father does the same thing to you and I as Christians. Christians, you can't hide from God. God still loves you. And if you're trying to hide today and you've been born again... And, and you know that you are. But in a sense, you're like Adam and Eve. You're hiding in the garden <laughs> of your life. I'm here to tell you, God knows where you're at. He knows you're sitting in that pew right today. And he'll ask you the question, where are you spiritually, Christian friend? And if you're not where you need to be, if you've got a, a, something going on inside of you right now besides being mad at me over this message... And you got the Holy Spirit speaking to you, I would encourage you to do what the Bible says to do. When you have unconfessed sin in your life, he's not, he doesn't hate you anymore. He hasn't turned his back on you. He, doesn't, he, he still loves you. And all he will do, tell you to do, Christian friend, is 1 John 1, 9. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to do what? And to cleanse you from all, all, all unrighteousness sin is serious boys and girls for the unstaved it means an eternity separated from holy God for the Christian sin is still serious because it takes it serious because you see sin stops the fellowship that we have with holy God does not stop our relationship with him but it stops our fellowship with him it stops our prayers at the ceiling and they don't get past that anymore. You'll never be able to hear the voice of God speak to you. You read, the, you read his word and it's like, what was that? Because of unconfessed sin in your life. Christian friend, I would urge you, urge you, if that's you and you're hiding from God, confess that and let it go. Have you ever been forgiven? Have you ever been forgiven? Answer that. Have you ever been washed in the blood of Jesus? Is Jesus your Lord and Savior? If you've answered yes to all of those, good deal. But if you got no on any of those right there, you need to fix that person. A loving friend of mine, you need to fix it. You need to fix it if you've got no on any of those. Christian, if you are dealing with an issue, I would urge you to confess it. God takes sin serious. I believe you can never have an abundant life here on this earth by harboring sin in your life.
God says, just agree with me about that. And let me forgive it and let me cleanse you. And like, and like Jason would tell you, as he walked out that back door that, that night, he knew he'd been forgiven. He knew he'd been cleansed. And what a feeling that is to know that you are right with holy God. There's no better feeling than that. Salvation is not a feeling, it's a fact. But because of that fact, you have a good feeling with the Lord. As the piano plays, that's our invitation cue. <laughs> if you've never been born again, sin will cost you an eternity. It wouldn't keep you there so much longer than you ever want to stay because eternity is for eternity. You can count a million years and that is just a speck in the realm of time. It will keep you there longer than you want to stay. If you're a believer but you've got issues, if you've got unconfessed sin in your life, I'm going to be quiet here in just a minute. I'm going to ask you just to confess it. And let God's amazing grace just cover you. And give yourself a bath in the Lord as he scrubs you clean of the stain of sin and the smell of sin in your life. So we bow our heads and close our eyes. Bang, that's the message. I urge you, my friends, to do business with the Lord. You've heard the truth today. Now do business with the Lord. As a piano plays. Altars will be open. I'm here if you want to come.